Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and how it's been shaking out in the first week and upcoming week two. We'll be talking about our successful NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will then be touching on the NBA, and we'll have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and always follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports for your highlights, for your updates, and for all of your breaking news. Now, as always, sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Oh, so great to have you guys back on a beautiful, well, by the time you see this, Sunday morning, NFL Week 2, Sunday morning. Of course, the NFL always starts with Thursday Night Football. And as always, we're going to jump right into the NFL when discussing this show. This is a very NFL-led show. So, as always, we're going to dominate, of course, with the NFL during football season. But last or two nights ago, I should say, we had the Chiefs and the Chargers in a battle of the AFC West with two future young kings of the NFL. Obviously, many people believe Patrick Mahomes already, if not uh, one of, if not the most talented and best quarterback in the NFL. And Justin Herbert, as far as the raw talent scale, has to be in the top five to seven guys. And they play in the same division. And they had one of their epic battles. Um, Chiefs, Chiefs super fan, rather, uh, Nick Wright was discussing the Chiefs right after the game um, in a Chiefs victory. He was saying that the Chargers are the only team Patrick Mahomes has played multiple times and has not blown them out yet. Um, and so that's a kudos to, well, A, not only Patrick Mahomes because he's blown out everybody else. He's played at least twice. But B, it's a credit to um, it's a credit to the Chargers because, some, you know, division rivals aren't always competitive. Division rivals aren't always, you know, a team you can say, man, we we just can't blow this team out. We can't get rid of them because you can look at uh, the Jets with pretty much everybody in the AFC East. They get their uh, big victories off the Jets. However, uh, the Chiefs cannot seem to escape the Chargers. Absolutely great quarterback in play into this game. Uh, we had just you know, Patrick Mahomes made a couple of big plays, up in the pocket, flips it 40 yards with a flick of his wrist. Right on the money for a touchdown. That was so pretty. It had Tyreek Hill uh, on social media talking about that was a beautiful throw. 15. Um, conveniently, a day or a few days after his quarterback underthrew him by about 20 yards on the first pass. But we're not going to harp on that. Uh, we're not going to harp on Tua Tagovailoa's repeated shortcomings as an NFL quarterback. That's just wrong. That's just me. That's not the kind of show that I do here. Um, but, you know, and then Justin Herbert taking a absolute pounding. Uh, for a vast majority of the game to the point where he ended up suffering broken rib cartilage, which uh, for you non-zoology majors, it's not the rib bone itself. It's what connects the rib bones together. It's the cartilage in between them. Um, 
is the uh, rib cartilage that he broke. So he didn't break a bone, he broke the cartilage, which is why he's considered day-to-day. -day. If he would have broke a bone, it, it would be several weeks of the bone finished healing, and then he'd probably be playing in a rib protector, which he'll be playing with anyway, but he wouldn't have no chance of playing for a few weeks. Um, so that is uh, the good news for the Chargers on the injury front. But two amazing quarterbacks were on display. Uh, the Chiefs, of course, have the coaching advantage. Um, at this point, in Brandon Staley's young NFL head coaching career, he made a mark his rookie coaching year with going forward on fourth down repeatedly. That became his trademark, where he repeatedly just went forward on fourth down. Um, you know, analytically, fourth and two on the 47-yard line, I'm going for it. It's not even a consideration. It's not even a second thought. Um, and it makes sense because if you have to defend with real defense on all four downs, it makes defending anybody much harder because you have to compete against them all four downs. You're not playing a three-down team. You're playing a four-down team in all aspects of the game. Um, Justin Herbert put on an absolute show, uh, even without Keenan Allen. Uh, him and Mike Williams connected on several big plays, including a nice touchdown grab. Um but back to Brandon Staley, I know that kind of jumped off the rails there for a second when the middle of Brandon Staley ran and I brought up Justin Herbert. Um, but I brought Justin Herbert up because you have a guy like Justin Herbert. You have a team like this Chargers team with a J.C. Jackson, with a Khalil Mack, with a Justin Herbert, with a Keenan Allen, with a Mike Williams, with an Austin Eckler. You have all these, you have all these guys and all this talent, and there's a situation where you're under a head coach. I'm not sure is the right coach there. Uh, Brandon Staley was a defensive guy for the Rams, and the Rams' defense got better the year after he was gone. The Rams' defense analytically played better last year than the year he was there. Um, and then you look at some of the decisions he's making and just some of the coaching situations. Against Andy Reid, I don't fault you. Against Andy Reid, I do not fault you. I do not fault you at all uh, against Andy Reid. That is... Well, it's Andy Reid. <laughs> it's one of the situations where I do not fault you in the slightest. He's, he's one of those coaches where it's Andy Reid, it's Bill Belichick, it's Mike Tomlin. Like You're going to the game at a coaching disadvantage. I completely understand that. Um, by the way, I think I just saw the greatest catch of the college football season. Jackson State's uh, Hooks, his last name is Hooks. I'm about to Google his name right this second. Um that may have been the greatest catch of the season. Um, that was actually absolutely spectacular. Holy cow. He jumps up with one hand, stabs it out of the sky, um, never gets hit. He's getting undercut backwards. It's insane. I, I can't even properly describe it right now, um, but I am going to get on that sooner rather than later. Uh, so I'm trying to look up his name now. So I give Shane Hooks, uh, six foot four, 205 pound receiver. He's a senior from Orlando, Florida. Absolutely snagged that. I I can't wait to post that all over social media. Um, what an absolutely insane grab. But uh, back to what I was saying about the coaching disadvantage. I I, I don't blame you against um, if you're dealing with. If you're dealing with an absolute um, juggernaut of a coach in Andy Reid, it's not your fault. However, if you are not in that situation and um, you are just getting out coached and making uh, poor decisions repeatedly, it is going to become an issue. And that is where um, my issues lie with Brandon Staley. 
it does he doesn't seem to be helping Justin Herbert. And I didn't like that they hired a defensive coach anyway. With Justin Herbert being so young, I would have gone with a uh, if you're gonna change coaches, I would have gone with an NFL offensive coach. However, uh, that is a situation that occurred in the Chargers. Is that they decided to go with a defensive guy, um, an unproven defensive guy at that, and I'm starting to see the um, these downside to that. But hey, it's going to be a war as long as um, Justin Herbert's there with with Patrick Mahomes. So I can't wait to see um, these two go at it for the next decade. But jumping into last week's action, um, the Jacks Pack was incredibly successful. We'll talk about that obviously in the Jacks Pack segment. But the Browns and the Panthers game was very interesting. Baker Mayfield said he was going to F the Browns up. Hey, there's one good thing he can still do, though. He can still throw passes to the Browns. He's still really good at that. Um, he did throw a crucial interception in that game against Cleveland. Um, he also did not perform all that well. He had a couple of moments. I won't sit here and bash Baker. He definitely, to me, played better than the Cobra Brissett did. Um just from the naked eye, I, I don't know off the top of my head what their QBRs or passer ratings were, but just from the naked eye, he definitely outplayed Jacoby Brissett. But it's the same thing, like I said, when he was talking about this game to begin with. You do, you're playing the Browns roster. They got two of everything. It's like the Noah's Ark of football. They got two of everything. They got two good receivers. They got two good tight ends. They got two good running backs. They got two good, two or three good offensive linemen. They got two good uh, edge rushers. They got two good DBs. Like they've got two good everything. They even got two good special teams people. K York makes a 58 yard field goal to win the game. Like it's a situation where there is a lot to combat when you're dealing with a Cleveland Browns organization due to the fact that their roster is absolutely loaded. Um, so when you're dealing with that, that makes it incredibly hard um, for you to have to battle. Um, that makes it incredibly hard for you to have to go against, especially when you're A, not all that good yourself, and B, your team is not all that good either um, in the Carolina Panthers. But the Browns won the game, unsurprisingly to me. Uh, Baker Mayfield stands wanted them so badly to beat the Browns, to show the Browns, look what you could have had. Just saying the Cleveland Browns had not won 17 straight week one games. And then the game they play Baker, they win a week one game. I'm not saying it's convenient. I'm just saying it's odd how that happened. Um, I'm not saying it's Baker's fault. I'm just saying that, you know, it happened. Um, so the Cleveland Browns uh, beat Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers, um, which was, you know, the expected result. At least on my end. The AFC South had a disastrous weekend as a unit. Uh, two of them played each other, and none of them have a win. Um, I didn't. My, it, that's saying that makes me want to laugh. <laughs> it makes me want to chuckle a little bit. All four of you played, obviously, it's week one. Two of you played each other, and nobody won a game because the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts well, they tied, and then the Tennessee Titans lost. Derrick Henry got depleted, which I didn't think was humanly possible. And then uh, the other AFC South team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, lost to the Washington Commanders. Again, another expected result. Um, the AFC South had an absolutely disastrous weekend. Uh, definitely not their best work. Uh, but it may be signs of things to come when it comes down to uh, the AFC South. They're, I don't see any real impressive team there. Somebody has to win the division. Small part of me holds. I hope Jacksonville goes and gets it. But... Um, there's just no 
there's no team there. Like the Titans are Derrick Henry dependent, especially with no AJ Brown. Uh, say he looked great in Philly, by the way. Um, very, very dependent on Derrick Henry and the rest of that run game. Ryan Tannehill is not good enough to overcome anything. Um, you look at the Jaguars; they're too young. That is just first coach, first year, second coach in as many years for the team. Doug Peterson's getting back into coaching ranks. Trevor Lawrence is only in his second year. They're just too young. Uh, you look at the um, Indianapolis Colts. I never trusted Matt Ryan. I still don't. Um, and so, with that being said, I don't like them. They had a better quarterback to me and Carson Wentz, and they couldn't make the playoffs with Wentz. Um, so, I don't really trust them. Not really in love with Frank Wright's play calling and play design. Um, and then you look at the Texans. They're just not good. There's no even young excuse for them. They're just not good. Uh, so the AFC South could be in for a long season. Somebody, of course, has to win that division. And so once that happens, they'll, they'll, whoever it is will get bounced in the first round pretty easily. And then let's do some quick hitters on last week's game as well. We have the Bucks and the Cowboys. Uh, this game was made a big deal for a multitude of reasons. Uh, the first main reason being that the Cowboys only scored three points all game. Uh, and that the Bucks defense looked elite, but also that their offense had a lot of potential. One of, I mean, they could have easily had 40 points this game. They ultimately ended up with uh, 19, but they, they could have easily had 40 points this game. Just a lot of small, minute turnovers, small, minute things that they didn't accomplish that they could have accomplished um, would have gave them 40 points. But like I said, they ended up with 19. Um, and then the Cowboys at no point had any chance of doing anything, to be honest. Um, and then Dak Prescott, of course, hits his hand back-to-back plays, basically, and breaks uh, his thumb right near the joint, uh, making it um, out at least a month. We're thinking anywhere from four to eight weeks. The Jerry Jones has not put him on IR, meaning that he'll be able to practice with the team as full as he can. He just won't. He'll, of course, he'll be inactive. And then he won't be held to a four-week restriction. So if he has some kind of miraculous recovery and he's ready in three weeks, he won't be forced to set out another game. He'll be able to come back as soon as he's ready. Uh, so smart move by Jerry Jones there, especially because it's not a confirmed 10-week situation. Um, it's at most eight weeks. It's not worth uh, ensuring he doesn't play uh, for longer than he has to. So good move by the Cowboys there. The Bucks are like a team that could do something, especially in the NFC South. The Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals was a interesting ball game, to say the least. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, well, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, I should say, since he did them all, uh, was responsible for five turnovers. Um, and they still were kicking field goals to win the game in overtime. The kicking unit led by Evan McPherson, the kicker himself, um, crap shooted away two opportunities to win the game, an extra point at the end of the game when Burrow hit Jamar Chase. Um, to win the game, or we thought to win the game, and then in overtime they had a special a field goal unit mishap as well. Um, so they had multiple opportunities, even with five turnovers, to win the game. If you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I'd be terrified. You got five turnovers and you scored 23 points. You got five turnovers, including one of them being a pick six, and you scored 23 points. You got five turnovers, and the other team was kicking field goals and extra points to beat you. They just didn't. They just like they they messed themselves up or you lose to a team that gave away the ball five times that's an issue that's a problem that's something that if you're the Steelers and I know Mitch Trubisky won the game 
I'd be saying I wonder if Kenny Pickett can get us more points. There's no way with five turnovers you should only have 23 points. With five turnovers, you should have 40, 45 points, um, especially with one of them being a pick six. You scored seven of your points automatically. Um, so that is something I would be looking at if I'm a Steelers fan. I'd be definitely a little nervous about that. The NFC South had their uh, classic rival of Saints-Falcons, uh, one of the most intense rivalries in college. Not college, I'm sorry. I'm watching the J-State game while I'm doing this, so my apologies for that. I'm keeping my eye on it. Of course, it's Saturday, college football day. Um, but one of the most intense rivalries in the NFL is the Saints and the Falcons. It is a true beef. Um, it is a long-standing beef. Saints fans, I've heard Saints fans and Falcons fans say we can go two and whatever. We can win two games all year as long as they're both against the Saints. Or we can win two games all year as long as they're both against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, that's tells you the kind of veracity that they have for each other and different things that both teams have that will make kind of traditions. So, of course, the Saints having the Mardi Gras theme with the umbrellas and the decorated umbrellas and stuff. Um, now, the, I, we saw the Falcons had it. And then when the Saints won the game uh, with a pretty epic comeback, Jameis Winston played out of his mind in the fourth quarter. All kudos to him for really stepping up. He played a bad first three quarters. And then that fourth quarter, he was able to step up um, and throw for a ton of yards, two touchdowns, get Michael Thomas involved. And so Saints fans responded after the victory by second lining, which is dancing out of the stadium and then doing it in Walmart. Um, full pettiness was on for the Saints organization, but hey, that's what happens when you had a long stand, long standing rivalry uh, between the two teams. And um, New Orleans Saints fans may be one of, if not the pettiest fan base in professional sports. Um, and so, if you give them an opportunity to gloat and to brag, they are going to do so in your face as much as humanly possible. Uh, but it was absolutely a great game. And I said Marcus Mayota looked pretty good, actually. Um, Marcus Mariota did look pretty good uh, running around uh, for the Atlanta Falcons at quarterback. Jameis Winston, like I said, had that great fourth quarter uh, doing what he does for the New Orleans Saints. Michael Thomas shook back as well, which had to be a very encouraging sign to not only the Saints staff, but to Saints fans. Uh, so great, great situation uh, for the New Orleans Saints. Um, and it was, like I said, it was a great game. And then the last game, of course, was the last game, Russell Wilson's return to Seattle. It was week one, um, so he still, so his first game was back in his old home, which had to be pretty cool to see. It had to be super weird. It was okay. It was pretty cool. To, uh, it was pretty cool to see, rather, but it had to be super weird for him. Uh, he warmed up on the other side of the field. He went into the other locker room. He entered not through the player parking lot, but on the bus and into the back. Like, it was. He was a guest in his own. It had to feel like being a guest in your own home. It's like, I know every single ins and out of this place, but now I'm doing it from the other side. Um, so that every nook and cranny and how the sound bounces off in what situation, how everything were to occur and how everything was to be set up. And yet, you know, I'm doing it from the other side. So that must be a very, uh, a very interesting feeling for Russell Wilson. And he played like it was an like it was an outer body experience. Geno Smith played pretty great. Uh, I would love to know where this offense came from. That all of a sudden, um, I needed. Uh, I was. I would love to know where this offense came from. That all of a sudden the Seattle Seahawks had because that was not the offense Russell Wilson ran, but it looked like that was the offense Russell Wilson wanted to run. Um, for all those years when he was uh, when he was the quarterback in Seattle and let Russ Cook campaign, they let Geno Cook 
um, more than once. He had a lot of different uh, pots on the stove. And Russell Wilson apparently was still using the same hand signals that he used in Seattle. And so several of the Seattle Seahawks receivers picked up on it and relayed that to members of the team. You know, oh, that's a go ball or whatever. They have a video of Tyler Lockett uh, doing it now, showcasing that what was a go ball uh, and things of that nature. Um, but it, all, it was a very cool experience. They booed Russell Wilson mercilessly um, because they feel betrayed by him for wanting out of the situation in Seattle. Um and Seattle ultimately won that game. Cost a lot of people a lot of money. Uh, but Seattle did win that game. It was a kudos to Geno Smith, Pete Carroll, and the rest of the crew. Other than, unfortunately, they did lose Jamal Adams to a torn quad tendon. And he is done for the year. But you guys heard the timer. But, and it has worked out well because we're wrapping up segment one. So stick around after this short break. And we'll be jumping into week two. Talking about the games and some big games happening in week two. A lot of interesting matchups in week two of the NFL. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to jump into week two and discuss some big games going down there. Of course, you guys know the rule. I I can discuss the game right now and have it in Jack's pack. However, if it is in Jack's pack, I will not give you the winner until Jack's pack um, because, again, Jack's pack is picking against the point spread, etc., etc., but if it is in here, I will discuss the game and just not give a winner. Uh, so the first game up is the Bucks at the Saints. It is not in Jack's pack. I will give you a winner. I predict the Saints win this football game. Um, the reason I predict that is the Saints had a lot of momentum leaving their last contest against Atlanta. It is their second division game. Now, I know division games are not like conference games in, the, in college football, for instance, where a smaller school, a, 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 an FCS opponent, even a non-national title contender, they're not looking at if you're, I mean, FCS level, stuff like that. Even high school football with district, you're not necessarily looking at those non-district games or those non-conference games or those non-division games um, and stuff like that because, you know, ultimately you win your district, you had a successful high school football season. You get to hang a banner, you get to, you know, have a big ceremony at your school, you won district, etc. Uh, college, you won your conference. You get to hang a banner. You get conference championship rings. You get apparel and all that stuff. You know, it's it's a big thing when you think you're di- winning your divisions. The NFL is important, but every game important in the NFL. It's only 17 of them. Um, and you make you gotta make the playoffs. And the ultimate goal is Lombardi, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But since the Saints have already played a division game, played their toughest division rival, they've got a little bit of that physicality. The Bucks played a team in the Cowboys. That's not a very physical team. Michael Parsons is physical. That's about it. I forgot DeMarcus Lawrence was on the team until I was listening to Sports Talk Radio throughout the week, and they kept mentioning DeMarcus Lawrence, and I went, oh, yeah, he he does play for the Cowboys. Uh, they're not a very physical football team at all. The Saints is a pretty physical football team. Uh, you've got Michael Thomas, a big body receiver. Taysom Hill is physical. Demario Davis is physical. Cam Jordan is physical. Um, so it's going to be a, a very interesting switch from the Bucks going from a not-so-physical team to a very physical team, as opposed to the Saints. They were in their Atlanta, were in their Atlanta Falcons game. It doesn't get much more physical than the game between the Saints and the Falcons. It doesn't matter what the records are. It doesn't matter how much talent, quote unquote, is on either team. Um, they are. That is going to be a physical dogfight every time they play. 
Um, and plus, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by Brady, have played the New Orleans Saints five times. Tom Brady's one in four. The one was the one that the that the Bucks would say, we'll take that one, it's fine. It was in the playoffs. Um, Drew Brees' last game, it was in the playoffs. Brady's Bucks beat them on en route to their uh, Super Bowl in Brady's first year. But in the regular season, Tom Brady's 0-4 against the New Orleans Saints. Marshawn Lattimore has Mike Evans' number. And what adds to that is the fact that there's no Chris Godwin this week. Now, Julio Jones looks like he's running at full-fledged speed. But there's no Chris Godwin this week to take some of the pressure off of Mike Evans. You know, Marshawn Lattimore does to Mike Evans. So this is going to be a very interesting game. Uh, It's in New Orleans. That is one of the real home field advantages in the NFL. Uh, Some teams don't have it. The Rams don't have a home field advantage. The Chargers don't have a home field advantage. Um, Pittsburgh has one. New England has one. Um... Cincinnati does now. Cleveland does. New Orleans is probably the best home field advantage in the in the sport, if not all the sports. Is right up there with, ironically, in the same state, Tiger Stadium, uh, for LSU. Um, so New Orleans has a big real time home field advantage there. I'm gonna go with New Orleans, uh, 27, the Bucks, 17, uh, with the game feeling a little bit further than the score actually was. Um, so I got the New Orleans Saints winning there. Uh, by about 10 points. Now, why did I not put that in Jack's pack? I don't necessarily love the bet because it is Tom Brady. Ultimately, Tom Brady could go off in this game, throw for five touchdowns, and there's nothing you could do about it. And you lose that game. Plus, you got James Winston factor. You got Winston versus the Bucks factor. Last year in this game, on that field, the Bucks hurt James Winston tearing his ACL. So, you know, there's a lot of different things operating in this game. A lot of emotions. I don't like picking games where there's a big emotional component in it. Um, but I do have the Saints win this game by about 10 points, 27-17. Up next, you have the New England Patriots at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another game not in my Jacks pack. Why? I don't like betting games. I don't like betting Patriots games. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm a huge Patriots fan. And again, what I say about the Saints, I don't like betting games where there's a ton of emotional value, a ton of emotional sway that could occur. I'm a Patriots fan. Die-hard Patriots fan. I've got the Brady jersey, the Cam jersey, and my own custom jersey in my closet. I am a massive diehard Patriots fan. Betting in a game where I have any strong emotional attachment is a bad idea. I don't bet LSU football games because it's, it's too much. It, there's too much emotional component. I'm, I, can, I can literally talk myself into something because, or talk myself out of something because of the emotional component. I don't like it. So that's why it's not in my Jack's pack. Who do I think is going to win the game? I think the Patriots are going to win the game. We spoke about this last week. We spoke about this in the last block. The Pittsburgh Steelers got five turnovers from Joe Burrow, and they scored 23 points. And they scored 23 points with five quarters, basically, because they needed pretty much all the all the second overtime, all the overtime, to get the last field goal to get 23. Um, they just should have lost the game. Steelers have an outstanding defense, but they're down T.J. Watt for at least six weeks with that torn peck. Um, so they're down T.J. Watt, and that is going to severely affect them. Um, and their pass rush. Now it's it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. They 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 still have a pretty great organization to have a pretty great defense. But T.J. Watt was a defensive player of the year for a reason, and so um, that is going to negatively affect them um, when they go out there against the New England Patriots in pass rush. Also, the Patriots, but the Patriots have an injury of their own. Mac Jones has a kind of nerve issue this week. He was also sick. Um, not the world's greatest pass blocking scheme, and they all but they do not turn the ball over, hardly ever. I mean, Mac threw a pick last week, and it really, really is fault shouldn't pass interference on the safe on the corner, and the safety picked it. But um, 
when it comes down to the New England Patriots, I don't bet on them. However, I do predict their games, and I have the New England Patriots winning this game uh, kind of ugly, uh, 24 uh, to about 20 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I've got the New England Patriots winning 24 to 20. The Miami Dolphins at the Baltimore Ravens. Now, this game is incredibly interesting. It is interesting because both of these teams have a good chance of winning their divisions, for one. Well, the Dolphins don't. The Bills exist. But they have a, a good chance of making the playoffs, have a good chance of making a little noise in the playoffs. Both are built kind of different. They're both, they're both built differently from the conventional norm. For the Miami Dolphins, you went to the Kyle Shanahan uh, style zone stretch kind of offense. However, you've got tons of speed. You've got more speed than Kyle Shanahan could dream of. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Um, everybody on the team is fast, pretty much. And then you got the Baltimore Ravens, who they're fast guys, the quarterback, and they're trying to pound your soul away. Although Lamar did have a couple of beautiful dimes against the Jets, they're also trying to pound your soul away. So you've got speed kills on one side versus power and strength on the other. Um, it's going to be a very interesting game. I, will, I, will, I can't wait to see the speed of Miami against a Baltimore defense that by, by no means is slow. You know, by no means is Baltimore defense slow at all. So I cannot wait to see the speed of Miami. How how would a Baltimore co co exist that? How would a Baltimore combat that rather um, with their t- overall team speed? With how fast the Dolphins really are. Uh, this game is not my Jack's pack, so I'm gonna pick it. The Ravens are at home, so they're gonna get this game. Uh, 27-24 would be my score prediction for the Ravens to beat the uh, Miami Dolphins. The Seattle Seahawks against the uh, San Francisco 49ers. This game is in my Jacks pack, so I'm not going to pick the winner. I'm just going to tell you that this game has a lot of interesting storylines in it. Uh, Two uh, two teams that you thought their records would have been flipped after week one. Um, I know I did. And the, um, the Seattle Seahawks are in a very interesting position because they're kind of playing with house money, but at the same time, tanking has got to be on the table. But they don't have their own first-round pick. They have a lot of Denver's picks, so they're not even in a spot to tank. So there's no benefit to losing games for Seattle. Uh, they've got Geno Smith uh, working there, working pretty positively there inside the organization. And if you go to the San Francisco 49ers and their side, they are short. They're, they thought they were going to go in there and beat Chicago. They ended up in a monsoon. They decided to protect Trey Lance. Not a whole lot of pass attempts at all. Um, again, the goal felt like protect Trey Lance. I think they did a good job of. However, they ultimately um, handcuffed their own possibility for success. So you've got two teams kind of coming from opposite ends of the spectrum. How are these two teams uh, battle each other? How will they figure it out? Who will get on the board? Uh, who will get uh, Who will get a dub? Will it be Seattle? Uh, 2-2-0 or 49ers in a, a, a damning spot at 0-2. Not many teams, especially with a young quarterback, come back from 0-2, uh, from 0-2. Sticking in, the, in, sticking in the division theme, the Cardinals and the Raiders, two members of the AFC West, are dueling, and both of them being 0-1. Uh, if you're the Raiders, you think, okay, Devontae Adams played well. Um, not many others did, but Devontae Adams played well. And, um, you know, 10 catches in his debut. And if you're the Arizona Cardinals, nothing went well. Uh, you got a couple of moments there where your offense looked capable. But I, I still don't love your coach. Um, the score was 44-21. to 21. Um, That defense for Arizona looks absolutely downright terrible. 
it, it it actually looks like they don't practice defense and they're still trying to figure out what in the world to do with Isaiah Simmons. He has to have talent in there. Um, he has no choice. I mean, he's so athletic. I don't think he's one of those guys that's just a body. Uh, There's just an athletic guy. I truly believe he can play at the NFL level. They just have to find some way, some scheme, or, t- uh, or maybe even a different team to unlock his ability to get rolling uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray didn't look all that great. Uh, might want to spend a little less time on the video games there, buddy. Uh, now nah, I'm kidding. But that defense is terrible. And the reason I know it's terrible is because the Chiefs put up 44 points on them with relative ease. They could have easily went for 60 or 70 if they kept the foot on the gas. But they got 44 points in relative ease. Uh, that same offense went against the Chargers defense and struggled most of the night. So that Arizona defense is bad. Really, really bad. Uh, so Kyle Murray is going to have to overcome that uh, and try and figure out how to score, basically score enough points to overcome that god-awful defense um, that the Arizona Cardinals have put on the field. And as always, we finish with Monday night. However, there's a dual Monday night schedule this week. Uh, you have got the Tennessee Titans going up against the Buffalo Bills, and you've got the Minnesota Vikings going up against the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, this is a very interesting situation in terms of the games because if you look at the Tennessee Titans and the Buffalo Bills, uh, those guys are in a similar, similar situation. And what I mean by that is um, they're in a similar situation in terms of both of them could end up division winners. Uh, Both of them could end up in a situation where they face a team that's a little hard for them early. Now, the Buffalo Bills have a shot at the one seed. They do. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs exist, but the Buffalo Bills have a shot at the one seed. Um, and so that is going to be the primary focus of the Bills is to get that one seed. Don't fall to a two or a three uh, into the scrum. Now, you look at the Titans. They are can very well end up in the scrum in that three seed, four seed, playing a really, really good wild card team at home. And losing that game uh, because you, you were just not as good as that team, but you were in a bad division, so you were afforded the home playoff game. Now, this game is not in my Jacks pack, so I am going to pick it. Neither of the Monday Night Games are in my Jacks pack, uh, so I am going to pick it. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are going to win this game fairly comfortably um, based on, again, just pure uh, deduction and analytics and stuff like that. I got the Bills winning this game 34-20. to 20. Uh, the only thing that can make this game interesting is if Derrick Henry runs wild. He just has one of those. He has one of those days where he, you know, he's getting 30 carries for 200 yards. They got the ball 40 out of 60 minutes, and there's just nothing you can do about it if you're the Buffalo Bills. Um, so that's kind of where the um, the Titans' hope lies is that they can shorten the game with Derrick Henry um, and really keep that offense off the field of the Bills. And pretty much any way they can. Like I said, the easiest way is to do so by removing uh, Derrick Henry from the from the equation. And lastly, to wrap up the week, the Minnesota Vikings face the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, two teams that I expect to have pretty good records this year. I picked the Vikings as my worst the first team last year. And they let me down. So, I didn't pick them this year. Obviously, to go from a really bad record or not so great record into of vaunting into the playoffs but they looked really good in week one especially justin jefferson uh that dude is an absolute beast he's an absolute freak um 
you know, Justin Jefferson's a really, really good football player. So because of that fact, um, the Vikings were able to win week one. And then Jalen Hurts and company played the Detroit Lions, everyone's hard knock darlings, because they were all hard knocks. Um, and so that was a very interesting game. They gave up a lot of points. So I'm sure the Minnesota Vikings are licking their chops to get to this defense. They gave up, they gave up 38 points. Uh, the game must not have been that close versus Philly. It didn't play that close. But because of the um, because of the penalties and the uh, other things that were kind of against um, the Eagles and just blowing assignments and letting guys from the Lions run free, etc., it was a lot closer than it had to be. Um, so that is something that is going to have to be corrected. Um, but in this game, I have the Minnesota Vikings winning. 27 to 20 um again i did not bet this game but i do have the minnesota vikings winning 27 to 20 over the philadelphia eagles uh, led by Jalen hurts and, co and company but up next we are going to shift to our very successful uh jacks pack which is our nfl betting segment against the spread Welcome back into the show, and now we are going to talk about the Jacks Pack, our very successful betting weekend last weekend. We went four and one in week one. Um, the only game we missed on, we missed on Raiders and Chargers, and that was actually my least favorite game of the week because um, it was fifth in my betting. It was my least favorite of the bets because it was fifth in my ranking, but we hit on the other four. So great week for us. Hell of a way to start out at an 80% rate. 80%, of course, unrealistic. We spoke about it last year. 57% is what professional betters aim for. 57 to 60% is what professional betters aim for. 55% is considered profitable. Um, because you know, wagers and different money lines, or et cetera. So if you hit about 55 to 57% of your bets, you'll be profitable. 57 to 60 is what professional gamblers look to hit. Uh, when they do this so 80% is massively unrealistic I don't expect to go 80% uh, however I won't turn it down <laughs> for lack of for lack of better time but we're gonna jump right into this week's games my favorite bet of the week Carolina plus two at the Giants I don't understand how the Panthers are the underdogs and I know I gave a rant earlier about how the Panthers aren't that good and then Baker Mayfield isn't that good I get it the Giants are worse I have no idea how the Giants are a favorite here the Giants have the best player on the field and Saquon Barkley. No arguments there. And that, and if you did a redraft for that draft, well, Josh Allen Lamar is going one and two. But I'm talking about the offensive players, or you do redraft the top five, Saquon's probably going one to Cleveland. Uh, Saquon's definitely the best player in that mix. That's not that's not even a potential of a shadow of a doubt. Uh, he's going to be the best player on the field, of course. Um, so we're that is the advantage the Giants have. And they're going to make the game shorter with him because, he's, again, he's going to be the best player on the field. Um, but Baker's better than Daniel Jones by a mile. Coaching's kind of split. Uh, I, th I think Brian Dayball is a better actual coach than uh, Matt Rule is, but he's being handcuffed by um, Daniel Jones at quarterback. Defensive talent, I, that leans Panthers. 
you know, there's no, I mean, home field, I guess, is a thing. But I'm going to go Panthers going to win the game outright. So, of course, with them being plus two, I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers there. The Seattle Seahawks, plus nine at the San Francisco 49ers. Take the Seahawks. Did we not watch the 49ers play last week? I get it. It was in a monsoon. I totally understand it was in a monsoon. But plus nine? This is our nine-point favorite. San Francisco 49ers, in order to go plus nine, would have to win that game something like 27 to 14. If I, if I had to guess, like if I had to guess a score, 27 to 17 would be the number. Like that's a lot of points to give uh, to the uh, Seattle Seahawks there. They got to keep it under 10 points. I mean, just keep it under, basically keep it around two possessions. That That's that's pretty easy money for me. Uh, Seattle Seahawks plus nine at, over the 49ers. Cincinnati Bengals, uh, minus seven over the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys scored three points with Dak Prescott. The Bengals are pissed. The Bengals gave away five turnovers, including a pick six, and gave up 23. You're telling me that the Bengals can't, the Bengals cut those turnovers in half. They scored probably 30 on the Steelers' defense. And with Cooper Rush, I'm sorry, with Dak Prescott, the Cowboys scored three. So I am going to go with the Bengals going to win this game fairly comfortably. I'm going to go with something on the lines of 30-13. The Bengals are going to cruise over the Cowboys here. Um, They're going to man up, lock down, blitz their butts off in an effort to... um, contain Zeke and Tony Pollard in that rushing game and make Cooper Rush or whoever studying a quarterback for the Cowboys uh, flat out beat them which I don't think is anywhere near as possible so because of that fact I am going to go with the Bengals winning comfortably uh, over the Cowboys a 31-13 so of course Bengals take the 7 points the Chicago Bears plus 10 against the Green Bay Packers take the Bears another one I don't get the Bears got 10 points. Now I know the I know Aaron Rodgers. You, I own you. I own you. I get it. I totally get it. I totally get where this is coming from in terms of you know it's the, it's, it's the Packers, mind you, against the Bears. Aaron Rodgers against the Bears. But as far as I know, there's no Adam Lazar. He's questionable, I believe now. The Packers have no real receiving threats at all. Um, the Bears have pretty have a pretty solid defense. They um, and then Justin Fields is playing with a lot of confidence. There's no real pass rush in Green Bay. Kirk Cousins had a lot of free time on his hands um, for the Minnesota Vikings. Then the Bears can run the ball. Again, the Vi- the Packers are susceptible to the run. So there's no real run game here. Uh, therefore, I don't I you know I don't get the line here at all. I've got Bears plus ten. I feel very confident in that. And then the Washington Commanders road underdogs against the Detroit Lions. I just noticed I picked five road teams that feels like a poor idea i'm sticking with it but i like all the games i actually do like all the games love the first for the first four really um like the commanders game but if commanders plus a point and a half against the detroit lions so basically win the game um because the point of having how many times 31 30 is a pretty common score 24 23 maybe but you know you don't really get too many one point outcomes um, so therefore, basically, the commanders win the game, and I've got the commanders winning this one. Not, I want to say comfortably, but Detroit doesn't have a defense. To me, the Philadelphia passing offense is naturally just because Jalen Hurts not as good as um, the commanders is in terms of uh, 
rushing the ball or sorry, throwing the ball, their uh, offensive attack. And so, therefore, I have got the um, Washington Commanders winning this game by about a touchdown, uh, 27 to 20. Again, just running back through it, I've got the Carolina Panthers plus two over the uh, New York Giants. I've got the Seattle Seahawks plus nine over San Francisco 49ers. I've got the Bengals minus seven over the Dallas Cowboys. I've got the Bears plus 10 over the Green Bay Packers and the Washington Commanders plus one and a half over the Detroit Lions. All odds provided by the ESPN app. But we are shifting to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the NBA and what's going down there really quickly. So the big thing, of course, is the Phoenix Suns slash Phoenix Mercury owner Robert Sarver's investigation um, finished into his um, massive misconduct in charge of the organization. Um, He was quoted or was reportedly found to have said the N-word at least five to six times in really in conversation. Now, he always did it under the guise of repeating or something of that nature, but he did say the word. Um, he was physically intimidating to males, sexually intimidating to women, um, all around just a bad guy from everything I've been reported. Um, it, it reminds me of when Donald's, when the stories came out after Donald Sterling's situation with... Um, Magic Johnson and etc. About all the stuff started just flowing out. Like, no, he's been this way for decades. Like, um, and it was he was even highlighted in Winning Time. Um, so kind of like you know, stay away from Donald. Like, like Donald says, like, stay away from that creep Donald. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he uh, he wants to own the NBA team, but we don't think he'll ever get it because whatever. Like, they they kind of even in that kind of like made the dig at Donald Sterling. Um, you know, he would say stuff like, look at those black bodies. Look how great their bodies look. And, you know, just objectifying black uh, people for in general. And saying that he's the owner. He owned the players. Um, kind of down the mentality. And I don't know if Robert Sarver went that far. But he was all around a terrible person. Like I said, said the N-word uh, on multiple occasions. It was recorded. Um, it was, was, was um, found out via investigation. Um, he also, you know, like I said, physically intimidating to m- males. Uh, sexually intimidating to women mistreated staff members at every level um and so it's just an absolute disaster of an owner disaster of a guy um he was hit with a one-year ban a fine of 10 million dollars um as well and the nba mbpa quickly spoke up and said that they would like for him to be banned for life similar to what happened to donald sterling um donald sterling's big thing was that he was not going to be banned for life and then the tapes came out um can't think of her name v v stiviano i believe was the uh was the young lady's name um who was his girlfriend as far as uh, anybody could confirm v stiviano recorded um the conversation or recorded some of the conversations recorded some of the things he was saying um and that's pretty much when adam silver stepped in big time like yeah no he he he, he has to go he was forced to sell the team and now uh, the NBPA is calling uh, for um, 
um, Robert Sarver, sorry, excuse me, Robert Sarver's ban from the NBA as well to have him be forced to sell the team as well and removed from the NBA. And I always thought being forced to sell was weird because, you know, you got to make four million dollars in this exchange. But the thing with selling the team is that these guys are generationally wealthy anyway. Their families are going to never run out of money. The thing is, it's, it's the clout and the arrogance of I'm an, I'm an NBA, I'm an NBA owner, you know. Uh, so it's that kind of clout and thing like that is the big thing. Because Donald Sterling, you know, made three to five million billion dollars off the Clippers sale, um, but he's no longer an NBA owner. He's no, he, you know what I'm saying? His, his the Sterling name is rich forever. He's no longer an NBA owner, and that was the thing with him. Same thing, with Robert Sarver. Clearly, his thing comes from the power of being an owner. Um, the thing he, he do whatever he wants, making himself the team would reduce that power. Uh, but LeBron has spoken up. Chris Paul has spoken up. I said the NBPA as a whole, which is the National Basketball Player Association as a whole, has spoken up against the fact that uh, Mr. Sarver, or I'm not calling Mr. Sarver, Robert Sarver, is allowed to uh, still control the team, and he will come back at this present moment after one year suspension. So, in other news, Laker news, dual Laker news, old and new. Um, the Showtime Lakers of the 80s came together in Maui for like a reunion. It was pretty dope. Most, I think all of them for the most part, maybe one or two of them are no longer alive. Um, no longer with us, but you know, Pat Riley was there, Kareem was there, Magic was there, Worthy was there, Scott was there. You know, everybody from those Showtime Lakers days was there in Maui. They uh, had a, 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 a practice where they literally walked around in words of Magic Johnson, uh, some of their old plays. Um, even fans would have made basket. Um, it was pretty sick. It was amazing to see. Uh, some of those they they have they dance, they have fun, they laugh, they joke, they say they reminisce on the glory days. Well, man, how practice really was, and you know how was it really back then? And it was just awesome to see those guys could still come together and have that fun, have that camaraderie, have that bond. Uh, because they were on the forefront of a lot of different movements with that Lakers team. Of course, they had Dr. Bus. Who was like I said on the forefront of a lot of different stuff. They had the Laker girls, the Lakers, or the Forum Club. They were in the Forum. They were in LA. You had Magic Johnson. They won five titles in nine years. You had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, you had Pat Riley. Um, so you had all this different stuff. You were the darling face of the NBA, even more than the Celtics were back in the 80s. Um, you were the darling face of the NBA. Pressure was pulling at you from everywhere. That was the first major TV deal. You saved the NBA. And it, it, it was so much pressure on those guys back then. They had to become this tight-knit family group. Otherwise, they probably would not have survived. Um, in terms of being a tight-knit group, they had to do this. because Otherwise, they would not have made it through as far as they did. And then in current Laker news, Dennis Schroeder is back with the uh, Los Angeles Lakers as he uh, has signed a one year or agreed to rather a one year uh 2.6 uh one year 2.64 million dollars if memory serves correctly uh deal with the lakers but a one year deal under uh three million dollars to return back to the lakers so a lot of point guards entering the um a lot of point guards entering the Los Angeles Lakers locker room. Obviously, they already traded for Pat Beverly. Apparently, him and Russell Westbrook decided to work together. Now you bring in a Dennis Schroeder. Um, so a lot of point guards coming into the mix, which means to me they're, they're, they're building more and more towards you the moving Russell Westbrook and those two first-round picks to Indiana for Miles Turner and Buddy Hield. And your point guards at that point would be Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder. 
or Russ's minutes get waned out. He's playing 28 minutes a night, 26 minutes a night, and then Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder are splitting the other uh, 22-ish minutes amongst each other. So uh, very interesting. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see just how that ends up ultimately shaking down. But up next, we're going to shift to our best for last, which is going to be a talk about Roger Federer upon his retirement. Welcome back into the show. Uh, we're going to jump into our best for last, which is going to be a discussion actually about the world of tennis right now. Uh, Roger Federer this past during this, over this past week announced his retirement from competitive tennis following his next tournament he's scheduled to play in. Um, so that leaves two of what I consider the modern Mount Olympus of tennis that takes two of them out. In the um, in the span of weeks of each other, Serena Williams obviously retired. To me, she's the greatest female tennis player ever, and it's not close, honestly. Um, she is uh, she retired. Uh, Roger Federer, who's part of the big three of modern tennis, is Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and uh, Novak Djokovic is the big three of modern male tennis. Um, now Roger Federer has announced his retirement, aka the Fed. The Fed, Joker, and Nadal. Nadal, I mean, Nadal didn't even get a nickname. He just got called his last name. Um, so that is what's happening in the world of tennis. Like I said, two of the four, what I consider the modern-day Mount Rushmore, obviously the greatest of all time, and then the uh, the big three of the modern era in the male game. Um, that, that makes up the four of my Rushmore spots. Two of them have retired within weeks of each other. Um, Serena sent out this long message uh, to uh to Federer about you know his impact on tennis, absolutely insane. Uh, what he it was something at one point, him, Nadal, and Joker had like seventy percent of the majors, or maybe something like eighty percent of the majors between the three of them since they all turned pro. It was just ridiculous the level of dominance he helped participate in at that level. Um, so kudos to uh, to Roger Federer on a hell of a career. Uh, we're gonna miss you, Fed. Uh, hope you have a happy retirement. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoy your NFL football Sunday. I hope they treat you well. I hope your teams win. Unless you're a Steelers fan, then I hope your team lose. No offense, Patriots fan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to wish that as we do this every week, I'm going to wish the Patriots play a horrible Sunday. It's just, it is what it is. Um, but I hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. I hope you guys have a hell of a start to your week. Um, keep fighting, keep it in there to my fellow coaches. I hope you guys have a very successful week, uh, weekend. Again, unless you're, coaching, coaching, unless you're listening to this and you're coaching against my team, then I hope you have a terrible weekend. It's, no, it's nothing personal. Eh, yeah, it is. Um, but I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, as always, this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.